You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, men, women, and that's it because there's only two genders. We are happy to have you, happy to be here together. (laughs) It's been a while. Uh, It's been an exciting a couple of weeks, and I am really excited about tonight. It's going to be interesting. Uh, it's going to be an adventure, kind of a new, uh, a new stream of uh, thought here, and it's going to be fun. Um, I am, of course, joined by my long, flowing-haired, goatee-wielding, Lord-loving, good friend, Balake. How you doing, brother? You know, it is. Uh, it is Thursday. So and it's late. So I'm I'm excited to uh, hang out with my buddy. I'm excited to drink a spirit tonight. I'm excited to talk about some theology to uh, react a little bit to uh, what's going on, as it were. And uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm pretty thrilled about it. Um, last week, I totally promised a super technical, like more in depth. And then when I was editing the episode from last week, I was like, you know, this is pretty super technical. This was way more than I was than I than I had ever like the episode was better than I had ever envisioned. So now uh, we decided to slightly shift gears this week, which you know it uh, it happens sometimes. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen, that's what happens because we are the Senate. <laughs> I I don't think that's how that works, but uh, I'm gonna roll with that and uh, we're can gonna, do what we want. I have a we, permit. <laughs> I have a permit. I do what I want. And you know what I want to do is remind all of you guys that tomorrow is the last day. It's the final you can get a Distilling Theology Glen Karen small batch 001. Guys, we're selling them by the pair. Head over to shopdistillingtheology.com. If you would like to order a pair of Distilling Theology Glen Karen glasses, Submit your order by midnight tomorrow, oh, yeah. Wednesday, March 17th. And that's midnight Eastern Standard Time. So yes. please, yes. please hurry uh, if you would like to get them in. And a reminder that our Patreons get 10% off all orders in the Distilling Theology store. So if you'd like to hit that up, head over to patreon.com slash Distilling Theology. Uh, but yeah, we're very excited. We love the glasses. We cannot wait to get them out. Um, once that pre-order closes, we will not make any more small batch 001 Distilling Theology Glen Karens. I don't know if we're going to do Glen Karens again, so who knows? So you might want to hurry that hurry that up because uh, they're pretty sweet. They make for a great tasting experience, and the pair is there so you can share with a friend. Yeah, boy. Oh, man, this smells so good in our glass. Speaking yeah, I'm of I'm excited. This, I'm yeah, excited. Justin, what we're are we sipping? Casamigos Blanco Tequila. It is bottled at 40%. ABV or 80 proof. And it smells delightful, Blake. It smells it does. delightful. It does. It's 100% Blue Weber agave uh, that has been aged seven to nine years from the rich clay in the soil of the highlands of where? Jalisco, <laughs> uh, Mexico. Mm. And uh, Justin, what are some of the things that they that they tell us about this process from their website over at Casamigos? Yeah, so they say our agave piñas are roasted 
in traditional brick ovens for 72 hours, while most others steam theirs for only seven hours. Uh, so this is going to be interesting uh, if we get to compare this sometime to some of these other some of these other beverages. There's an 80-hour fermentation process, which is uh, as compared to the average of 48 hours. Um, and they have a pr- proprietary yeast blend in that fermentation process. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Um, Blake, can you tell us a little bit about this distillery? Sure. So again, from their website, they say, Longtime friends George Clooney, Rande Gerber, and Mike Meldman love Casamigos on the rocks, by the shot, at times straight from the bottle. The Kielafield Nights with Friends is how Casamigos was born. Our idea was to make the best tasting, smoothest tequila and mezcal that didn't have to be covered up with salt or lime. So we did. Well, that sounds an awful lot like the story of distilling theology. Uh, Whiskey-filled nights with friends is how distilling theology was born. So this is, uh, you know, very fitting. Uh, fun fact about uh, Jalisco, Mexico. Miss Universe is from that area. Wow. Yeah. It was uh, something that I think all of our <laughs> listening audience was dying to know. <laughs> have. Yes, thank you, Jalisco. Thank you. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sorry, I just saw a meme. No, it's, no. It's Stonehenge, but it's a bunch of sticks of butter. <laughs> I can't believe it's... No, <laughs> no, no, no. It says, is that butter? No, it's Stonehenge. I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> this is just marginally funny. <laughs> there it is. There it is. See that one. That was a good That's one. A, it's beautiful. That's great. So, uh, Justin, what do you smell? We haven't had a ton of things of this nature on on the podcast yet so yeah no it's i'm excited it's um it's very i don't know clean smelling yeah uh there's definitely lemon it's a little bit buttery some floral notes i definitely get the like grassiness there's a little bit of blame maybe black pepper or or something yeah it's very light i also get some sea salt like something Mm -hmm. along those lines actually let me head over and see there could potentially be even uh, a hint of citrus, some nutmeg, Ooh. maybe. Oh, man. Yeah, this is not like I've remembered. We used oh, to sell this good. at the speakeasy bar I worked at, and it was a more premium one. And they've also got the reposado and añejo and the mezcal. And I remembered liking all of them. I just haven't sat down to taste them in a long time. So uh, this will be quite the adventure for me. I always love it. Uh, for their glass. their tasting yeah. notes. Oh shoot! Look at that glass. You could. You uh, they're could tasting another one of these. <laughs> hints of citrus and sweet agave is only notes they have on the smell from their site. So okay, yeah, I get way more than that. That grassiness and the and the black pepper I'm seeing come through a little bit more now. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Well, cheers. Let's uh, get into this. There's a lot of things happening. It's yeah. It's sweeter than I expected and more mellow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very rich. Um, it's a fuller nice, body than I thought, too. Pretty smooth mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, I, I get the agave. Um, oh, yeah. It comes through. Maybe some green pepper. Like mm. fresh, fresh green pepper. With a little bit of aromatic, sort of floral, citrusy, like undertones. But they're very light. I also get some vanilla in the front of the mouth. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little bit of like the pith from an orange peel or more of a grapefruity somewhere in that, like something like that down through the middle. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, like more tart citrus. Yeah. That's really tart's good. A good. Tart's a good word for it, but yeah. it's not like a strong tart. It's a very like light, fresh. Yeah. Um, 
clean tartiness. Yeah, this this would make an amazing margarita, but this is also really nice oh, like yeah. this. I almost want to go grab my Distilling Theology rocks glass and throw this on ice for the rest of the episode because... Man, I, I, like I just I I was just sipping on margaritas, man. <laughs> oh man. Actually, I think I might go throw this on ice if you'll if you'll excuse me for a moment. Uh but through the magic of editing, I'll be back in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> He's being raptured away, people. Oh no. <laughs> Two hours later. And just like that, I'm back. Crazy. Wow. Blake, you were gone for such a short amount of time. It's incredible. It's amazing. How did we do it? Anyways, I'm excited to enjoy this for the remainder of the show. But uh, before we get into our topic tonight, I'm going to pray from the Valley of Vision. As always, this is page 96, The Life Look. Oh God, I bless thee for the happy moment when I first saw thy law fulfilled in Christ, wrath appeased, death destroyed, sin forgiven, my soul saved. Ever since thou hast been faithful to me, Daily have I proved the power of Jesus' blood. Daily have I known the strength of the Spirit, my teacher, director, sanctifier. I want no other rock to build upon than that I have. Desire no other hope than that of the gospel truth. Need no other look than that which gazes on the cross. Forgive me if I have tried to add anything to the one foundation. If I have unconsciously relied upon my knowledge, experience, deeds, and not seeing them as filthy rags. If I have attempted to compete with what is perfect in Christ, may my cry be always, only Jesus, only Jesus. In him is freedom from condemnation, fullness in his righteousness, eternal vitality in his given life, indissoluble union in fellowship with him. In him I have all that I can hold, Enlarge me to take in more. If I backslide, let me, like Peter, weep bitterly and return to him. If I am tempted and have no wit, give me strength enough to trust in him. If I am weak, may I faint upon his bosom of eternal love. If in extremity, let me feel that he can deliver me. If driven to the verge of hope and to the pit of despair, grant me grace to fall into his arms. O oh God, hear me. Do for me more than I ask, think, or dream. Amen. Mm. That's a good one. They're all good, but I really like that one. Perfection. Very good. <laughs> yeah, it's very, just very like good. acknowledging the fact that there are seasons of doubt and despair where like yeah. our strength completely fails us. And in those moments, even our like desire for Christ isn't strong enough. We need God's, we need the spirit to work in us to give us the strength. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the foundation of our whole theology, right? Is our inability yeah. in ourselves. Yeah. So it's great. For sure. Speaking of theology. Hey. <laughs> so we're going to cover a couple of things tonight, uh, kind of reacting to some of the more modern views of how we see and, and view biblical redemptive history how we read the Bible in regards to how God interacts with his people and everybody. As you know, we, we are both covenantal. Blake and I are covenantal. Uh, we have some slight differences in how we view those covenants. What? Uh, being a, a, a Westminster man himself over there and uh, 1689 Federalist over here. 
Um, but we both agree that covenant theology is in fact the way. Oh. And so um, just laying those cards on the table. Yes. <laughs> so as, as we react to this, that gives you some perspective uh, just so you have some, some idea of where we're coming from. Um, oh, so we're going to look at, uh, at a couple of other views here. We're going to, we're going to look at classic dispensationalism. Mm. Uh, well, dispensationalism. So, you, so you know what it is uh, in the different sort of, uh, streams of that classic progressive uh, dispensationalism. I'll start us off by giving us a definition, a fairly lengthy one here from karm.org of dispensationalism. They say that dispensationalism is an approach to biblical interpretation, so very connected to biblical theology, right? This this issue of dispensationalism, covenant theology, the progressive mm-hmm. variations, new covenant, it directly impacts our biblical theology because it mm-hmm. impacts our interpretive lens. So that's the point. So what is the interpretive lens here? It's a biblical approach to biblical interpretation, which states that God uses different means of working with people, Israel and the church, during different periods of history. It is usually broken up into seven chronologically successive periods. However, the dispensational division of history varies among its adherents from three, four, seven to eight dispensations. Seven is the most common. Yikes. (laughs) It seems like a lot of extra steps. <laughs> oh boy! Something, something divine simplicity. Went. Oh, that's not how that doctrine yeah. works. Okay. <laughs> we're we're going to do a refresher on that uh, this summer. Anyways, in dispensationalism, <laughs> Israel and the church are seen largely as distinct and separate entities. It states that salvation has always been by faith, but it is manifested differently between Old and New Testament, citing Genesis fifteen six. Uh, Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 4.1-5, and John 3.16. Dispensationalists accept God's covenants as vital parts of his dispensational activity, but the primary unit of division is the dispensation, i.e. a period of time, rather than the covenants uh, that take place in those periods of time. Dispensationalism Mm -hmm. emphasizes the fulfillment of Old Testament promises to Israel and seeks to interpret the Bible as literally as possible. There are promises to Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. Israel will be completely restored and be prominent in the world as it carries out God's promises. The church may replace Israel to some extent, but not fully. And the church did not exist in Old Testament times. Premillennialism, that is a literal thousand-year period before the return of Christ, is held by all dispensationalists. A pre-tribulation rapture viewpoint is also held by most dispensationalists. So there's a very quick uh, intro it, it, to the system. It seems to me like there's a a broader dis, uh, variation of dispensationalism than there is among the covenanters, right? We only have yeah. really a couple of streams, <laughs> and in yeah. many ways they're very similar. Like uh, you and I, for example, uh, are very, very similar despite some very minor differences. Oh, yeah. Whereas with among dispensationalists, there seems to be a lot of disagreement. And just so we have a comparison and a kind of a reminder of covenant theology here, uh, covenant oh. theology uh, is is God's dealings with man in respect uh, to covenants rather than periods of time, right? Dispensations, uh, and it kind of represents all of Scripture uh, as a covenantal uh, book <laughs> uh, in structure and in theme. So, um, although there's some some differences as far as uh, how we view uh, those covenants. Uh, how, for for example, how they're, uh, how do you want to say it? Distributed. (laughs) Sure. Whereas Blake would say administered. Um, uh, 
we we do though both agree that it is the view that God within his trinitarian nature uh, covenanted before the foundations of the world to save man mm-hmm. um and we see several covenants throughout scripture right the covenant with Adam the covenant with Noah the covenant with Abraham Mo, yeah. uh, Moses um and then of course uh the new covenant uh, of grace mm-hmm. and so yeah. um it it seems like a pretty easy jump to make when we see how how God covenants with people yeah, I don't know. This dispensationalism is in an interesting leap of theological work. <laughs> sure, and it's also pretty novel, right? Like people, yes. a lot. Here's the thing that you'll that I have found, and I have dear friends who are dispensationalists. So this is not meant as a as a knock on people personally, just an observation of the movement broadly or of the the interpretive lens broadly. Dispensationalists tend to speak as though their interpretation is the one that makes the most sense, that's the most historic, that's the most consistent with what the Bible teaches, but like. It didn't start till the 1800s uh, right. with a man right. named John Nelson Darby, and it didn't really kick off until the 1900s, which it became very popular. Um, dispensationalism. It's very popular things, among Pentecostals. Oh, yeah. And it's popular among most Arminian leaning, like mm-hmm. broadly evangelical churches. Right. And there's a mm-hmm. so they see this connection uh, or the distinction between Israel and the church, like two different people of God, a unique plan for yes. Israel, a unique plan for the church or the Gentiles. Uh, the second feature is obviously these dispensations. Um, the Schofield Reference Bible is really like the the vehicle through which dispensationalism was distributed as, mm-hmm. as a thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing is this literal hermeneutic that gets applied especially to prophecy and apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature. Uh, you might have heard the jokes about like dispensationalism and their charts like we even made one tonight when we're like looking up some notes we're like we just need a chart and i was like calling the dispensationalists because <laughs> dispensationalists love their end time charts like i don't know they do they do. like many presbyterians of really love, love their ecclesi- setting too oh yeah and, and presbyterians love their ecclesiastical charts like if you want to find a, de- a presbyterian denomination you need a chart to like navigate that but dispensationalists love their, Baptist, their end time charts you know i have thoughts <laughs> many many uh Many are the dispensationalist Baptists. And, th- and that's the thing, right? You Oftentimes, if you go into a church that's just broadly like a Bible church, an evangelical church, a something Baptist yeah. church, they're usually marked by Arminianism, if we're lucky, uh, Critobaptism, dispensationalism, congregationalism, and usually of late, some, either there's some bleed of Pentecostalism mm-hmm. or they're like a fundamentalist direction. There's usually yeah. not a good cessationist weave in the broad spectrum of American churches that you, yep. that you would go into. Uh, do you think that's yep. a fair assessment or am I just, yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, I, I would, I would agree with that assessment. Um, it's amazing how it's sweeped across several different denominations and types of churches mm-hmm. um, that it's bled into everything from like your typical standard run of the mill, Protestant evangelical, Billy Graham kind of church sure, <laughs> all yeah. the way to crazy Pentecostal rolling around the around on the floor, barking like dogs kind of yeah. madness. Um, and yet there's this thing that kind of unifies them all together. Um, well, and, right. And John MacArthur is unified with that in his yeah. interpretive lens, you know, it, right. to a degree yeah. um, through dispensationalism. Yeah. Uh, and he's got to kind of force his way away from that by saying, well, no, 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 no. I'm yeah. leaky. <laughs> I'm a leaky <laughs> like, dispensation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're still, you know what I mean? You're still trying yeah. to have your cake and eat it too. Um, sure. Well, and, and actually, granted, we love MacArthur, by the way. I mean, oh, yeah. so we have 
you know, he's a great Bible teacher. Well, that actually, not to go to, too far off topic, but there was a thread today. Uh, well, actually, you started a thread in the Distilling Theology Facebook group, which you should all join if you haven't yet. We love you guys. Justin made it, made the comment about particular Baptists, the 1689 Federalist Baptists, over and against the the broader colloquial term of Reformed Baptists. And I thought I thought it was a good, good conversation. Um, but a few people rightfully brought up like, well, what's with this Reformed? I thought... You know, someone had a, a really good question, like the etymology seems to imply that that's just talking about people who are, you know, the, the, the descendants of the Protestant Reformation. And so, you know, when we talk about reform, we, we've said this before, but we're not saying like these are the elect or these are the true church. We're mm-hmm. just saying like we hold to a specific set of doctrinal positions, just like Lutherans do that. Episcopalians yeah. do that. Methodists do that. Well, um, it's funny because yeah. in the same vein where you get some some uh, some paedo-baptist boys who get uh you know, uh, irritated when Baptists call themselves reformed. You also have some Baptists who get irritated when you say you're not reformed. Mm, well, mm-hmm. I think, I think we need to understand how, how language works, right? Mm. Um, the meanings of, of terms can change over time. And there's a colloquial sense that, uh, sense of the sense of the word reformed that means one thing, but then there's historically, um, what is that term kind of always referred to? And there's a distinction to be made there. In the modern sense, sure, uh, you could call particular Baptists reformed uh, in the sense that we are creedal, we're confessional, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're covenantal, we are um, cessationist. Uh, mm-hmm. We are, in many ways, really aside from our covenant theology uh, yeah. and how we view the covenants, which then therefore leads to a different view of baptism, Mm-hmm. really aside right. be, between oh, yeah. those two distinctives i mean that's primarily the only real difference between oh, yeah. the particular baptists and the and the pedo baptists and so if somebody says you're not reformed i'm like that's fine like that I, I, that's fine yeah. I, I don't care if you like that doesn't hurt that doesn't that doesn't upset me because you're you're right historically that's correct and that's fine right well and also reformed is just a like and to that to the question in it's the group becoming was a like, catch-all for all calvinists Right. So, and so that's not the, helpful. Right. So like they would label, well, John MacArthur's reformed and John Piper's reformed. And, and one of the first things I remember when I joined the pub was seeing people say, John Piper is not reformed. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like he's mm-hmm. he's a Calvinist. Like I thought that Calvinist soteriology and reformed were one and the same. And right. while Calvinist soteriology, as you alluded to, is a piece of what it is to be reformed. Yes. It doesn't really encompass. And and I, I have no problem calling Baptist reformed. I think and, that and it's I, just I've said edgy. this before. All <laughs> all reformed individuals, uh, if we're also including uh, particular Baptists here, um, in the colloquial sense, all reformed people are Calvinists. Not all Calvinists are reformed. <gasps> well, one of the big pieces to that equation, really, is because most of the non-covenantal folks are still going to be and, and even non-confessional are still going to be creedal so mm-hmm. you know outside of the, the reformed confessions i think is a good line and then within the reformed confessions you have a covenantal theology system so yeah. like macarthur sam storms piper all men who i love i love to learn from i love to hear them mm-hmm. preach i love to read their books like mm-hmm. this is not a this is not like that's the thing what i'm not saying is well, we're better Christian. Like, absolutely not. All I'm saying is these are just doctrinal distinctives. That's it. Like, that's yeah. all we're saying. And while I happen to hold to these because I'm compelled by them, just as you're compelled by your convictions, it's not a statement of because I'm reformed. Now I'm a real Christian. Like, at, right. gone with that nonsense. Right. I look at someone like, yeah, yeah. I look at somebody like Tozer and I aspire to be oh, a dude. Christian like him, even though he is an Arminian. 
I I greatly admire him in his in his works, and yeah. and I would be, you know, if I ever come close to that, I would be considered. I would consider myself very blessed. <laughs> I mean, I'd even go that. I'd even go so far as to ex- extend that out to people like uh, Lewis as an Anglican, and even Tolkien. Uh, papism aside, right? In some ways, Wesley as well. In some ways, Wesley, absolutely. Yeah. Like the the zeal that these men had. So all that to say, what we're what we aren't saying in in this or in the whole discussion that we're having yeah. tonight is, yeah. well, we're we've got it right. All we're saying is, hey, here's our differences. Here's why right. we define these things. And I, I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I thought it was a good question. In I think in many ways the term reformed has become like an elitist term, like oh, you need to be reformed, and it's like. And I'm guilty of the same thing, like of being like, well, you know, that's not very reformed, but it's like, uh, ultimately what you and I both seek, and we talked about this earlier this week, what you and I are both seeking is just, we want to be biblical. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we want to be true to the word of God. We want to, yes. we want to stand on biblical convictions and whatever mm-hmm. title that ends up sticking us under, uh, assuming is at least orthodox. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> um, sure. Uh, I'm okay with that. If it means I'm not capital R reformed TM, yeah. whatever I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, I am what I am and that's fine. Yeah. Um, and we may, we can disagree and we can make jokes and we can have fun, but, um, ultimately, uh, ultimately, yeah, we're, yeah. we're Christians. <laughs> Amen. And so that's why, like, when I say, when I say John Piper's not reformed, John MacArthur's not reformed, I'm it's not, not an insult. No, it's, it's just, just a, a, right. That's like me saying Blake's a Presbyterian. Uh, I'm not insulting you. No, you're not. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's not. Uh, yeah. It, right. It's yeah. just a difference. It's just a difference. Right. It, and, and so it's just a matter of technical distinction because yeah, they're Calvinistic. They emphasize the sovereignty of God. Yes. They're not confessional. Uh, they don't hold to a, a 1689 or a Westminster confession or the, or the um, three forms of unity. And they aren't covenantal in their theology, at least not explicitly. And in, in, mm-hmm. in MacArthur's case, explicitly not. Um, and that's okay. It's just a difference. And so, yeah, I just wanted to, I thought that that was a, I thought it was a good discussion in the group and I figured yeah. we'd bring it yeah. to the podcast. That was a fun little rabbit trail. But it's rel- it's connected to what we're saying, it is tonight, relevant, right? Absolutely. As we're talking about dispensationalism, because what we don't want to do, like we're going to be a little snarky because we're, that's how we are. But what we're not saying is that someone's a lesser believer or is somehow mm-hmm. less interested in biblical truth if they happen to hold one of these views. That's not what we're saying. Um, we just both happen to hold a covenantal view. And, and, and to your point earlier, like, I would consider you and Eric and Sam and like the, the 1689 Federalists in my life far closer theologically than my good Lutheran friends mm-hmm. who are fellow Paedobaptists, right, who are, who are also in that. But they differ from Westminsterian covenant theology far more than 1689 mm-hmm. Federalism does. Yes. And so I'm like, you know, you guys are our closest theological cousins. Like we're, well, we're and, and I think that's why connected. we all get along so well. Yeah. And, and why we, or why, why we so should. Tightly, right. Well, right. <laughs> uh, at least why you and I get along so well. Cause yeah, like we, we are very much, you know, we can worship under the same roof and not mm, have any sort amen. of uh, stress about it. So, amen. Absolutely. Mm, that's good stuff, man. Well, anyways, back yeah. to some of these differences. Uh, this is again from a, a chart here cause we love charts. Charts. Um, this Dispies is on the love ca- charts. This is on the CARM side. Actually, I was going to, the major differences, right? So, Dispensationalism says the church begins at Pentecost, where covenantalism says the church begins in Eden with oh, yeah. the covering of Adam and Eve and is increasingly manifest in the Old Testament. Yep. Dispensationalism, the church is a mystery that's hinted at the Old Testament. Covenantalism, the church was spoken of in the Old Testament, stated in Acts 2, 1 Peter 1. 
the purpose of God is to gather a people for himself. That's dispensationalism. Where covenantalism says the purpose of God is to glorify himself as revealed in Christ. I don't know. Have you? Uh, that, like, that's. I think that's significant. Uh, mm-hmm. I think. I think we see this played out practically a lot in dispensational churches because a lot of dispensational churches focus either heavily on themselves theologically, so it becomes a much more narcissistic church. Uh, you know, we call narcissus the the exegesis of scripture <laughs> that's focused on man instead of God, or their whole focus is on God gathering the people gathering mm-hmm. the people harvesting you hear that term all the time harvesting yeah. and i'm like what is this a farm like <laughs> this is ridiculous but they they are so obsessed with that as though the purpose like like right here like as though the purpose of of god's creating people was to gather those people and it's like no he clearly created us for his own mm-hmm. glory he doesn't need us <laughs> yeah uh he created us because he felt like it and to glorify mm. himself. All right. And so, yeah, that's that's a big difference. Big difference. And that that plays out practically in the way that these churches practice their faith. A hundred percent. And here's another little line on it. Dispensational theology looks on the world and the history of mankind as a household over which God is superintending the outworking of his will. This outworking of his purpose and will can be seen by noting the various periods or stages of different economies whereby God deals with his work and mankind in particular. The various stages or economies are called dispensations. Their number may include seven. Uh, and here's the list from, uh, this is from monarchism.com. Innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, and kingdom. Um, and then obviously that there's these two different people, right? The, the Israel is an earthly people and the church is a heavenly people. So you end up with a weird you end up with some what I find personally problematic things. And again, I say this with with a bunch of love for my dispensationalist brothers. I just find these problematic, just as I'm sure they would say some of my views they find problematic, right? So, sure. uh, this is not this is not meant for, this is meant to be you know uh, intramural largely, right? We're speaking Christian to Christian. We're not speaking about heresy. We're not speaking about even heterodox. We're just speaking about something that I'm like I think you're wrong about this, right? They would say God has two separate peoples, Israel and the Church which means two separate plans of salvation for these two distinct peoples, which I find very problematic, right? He plans an earthly kingdom for Israel. This kingdom has been postponed until Christ's coming in power since Israel rejected it at Christ's first coming. During the church age, God is calling out a heavenly people. Dispensationalists disagree over whether the two peoples will remain distinct in an eternal state. And I don't know if you've encountered this online Mm -hmm. or in person. Mm -hmm. There are some dispensationalists, not all. Some will say, well, Christians will, you know, the church will be in heaven for eternity and Israel will inherit the earth for eternity because that's the literal reading of the yeah. prophecies, yeah. Um, which I find, I just find that a problematic read of scripture, but I yes. don't know what you're. Like, I, I've seen that exact, that exact theology yeah. literally described um, by, by friends of mine. And um, yeah, it, it's mm. interesting for sure they have a hard time distinguishing between ethnic and spiritual Israel, which is a big deal yeah. and uh, who the promises are made to. Right. And, and how, how, who, who those promises are for, mm-hmm. right. You know, we mm-hmm. we recognize the church, <laughs> spiritual Israel, the church is the one for whom the promises are, are made, yeah. not simply just ethnic Israel, because you happen to be Jewish right. by birth that yeah. you're is somehow 
uh, inherently superior and and in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, that that's interesting. That's interesting. I've seen that a lot. Yeah. And I think right as we I, I was I'm kind of hopping between reference points here just because we got multiple things here. Yeah, multiple tabs open. Um, the Israel is the heir to the promises made to Abraham about the seed of blessing. That's a dispensational view where a covenantal view is that the true Israel, the church, is the heir to the promises made to Abraham. What you were just alluding to there, yeah. that it's not merely uh, a genealogical descent. It's it's spiritual. Right. And right. and. In dispensationalism, participation in the Abrahamic covenant is mainly by biological, where in covenant theology, whether you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist, it's participation by faith in Christ. Yes. Like that's yes. the that's the unifying that's something you and I and all Baptists and Presbyterians should be able to, to to come around the table and shake hands over is this beautiful unity that we recognize our participation in the promises to Abraham are because of faith in Christ. Yes. And that we do get the benefit, like these promises are eternal and we understand that differently and that's okay. But like, we still believe that. And I find that really beautiful. Well, it's interesting too, how that plays out in salvation as well. Yeah. Right. Um, mm. Especially if we look at how one is saved, right. We recognize as covenanters that we are saved by Christ. And covenant and theologians, faith. not covenant. I'm not a covenanter. <laughs> no, no. You know what I mean? Covenant <laughs> theologians. Yeah, yeah. We distinguish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. Fair point. But as covenant theologians, we recognize that our salvation is in Christ alone and that our faith uh, for all people, salvation for all people for all time, has been through the death and burial and the resurrection of Christ and faith in him. Mm. Um, Whereas dispensational view uh, is viewing our faith and, and our salvation is by faith in accordance to whatever the revelation given in a particular dispensation is. Yeah. So that's a that's a different thing. Yeah. And that's that's a big that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not a minor thing. Right. Right. And we would probably understand that slightly differently, but at the same time in general, and, and correct me if this is a an inaccurate summation, but like I think both of us would look and see though again, we might understand it differently. I would say difference of substance, you would probably say difference of type, but that like Christ is present in the Paschal, like in these signs of the old testament, mm-hmm. their sins weren't being washed away because they were slaughtering a lamb and putting it on the altar, but because this sacramental union, like this is pointing to Christ. And I mean, this fits with our, our sacramentology now of the Lord's supper and of baptism, right? Uh, Even as we differ in our understanding of baptism, right? But particularly the Lord's supper, right? The Lord is present in the supper, even though we don't actually believe it's his physical body and blood, but we believe he's present. We're not papists. (laughs) Hey, Right, but 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 at the same time, there's a there, he is really present, yes. even though not physically, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that we have room for that in in the Old Testament, where we're seeing that they're not just saved because they're in this sacrificial system. Right. The Old Testament saints are saved because that system is a you know Hebrews I think pulls this beautifully. It's looking forward to Christ, just as we through communion and the Lord's Supper are looking back at Christ. Like I don't know, I don't know if that makes sense or if I totally lost the mark there, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think it's, I don't know. It's unique. Well, what I'm interested in is how people go from, I, I, I want to know why it is that dispensationalism often leads to such a, an obsession with the return of Christ, with mm. the rapture, with setting dates, 
as far as when he's coming back. Because that also seems to be a particular stream of dispensationalism. It's it doesn't sure. It's it's very specific. Um mm. but there's so many people that I know that are that are obsessed with that and they get in and of course that leads to the fact that they're often not cessationists, so they have prophets that are prophesying when dates are coming back when mm. the dates are and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I and I've seen a lot of that. <laughs> yes. Uh particularly at least at least around here and around the friends uh, that I know. That's been a, a bit of a big deal, and and it changes yeah. the way that they, you know, because we when we look at this as this this eschatological outlook, it's an escapist sort of worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. Can't wait to get out of here. This world's terrible. It's almost gnostic. Uh, yeah. This world sucks. Uh, it's awful. I can't wait to get out. Um, it's terrible. I hope things just keep getting worse because that means Christ is coming back. That doesn't give you uh, really any motivation to preach the gospel, mm. to work on improving your community, uh, helping the widow, helping the orphan. Um, it doesn't really give you any motivation to really teach your kids uh, education because who knows, God's coming back any second, so why bother worrying about math equations? Um, you know, I mean, there, there's so much that plays into into dispensationalism that play that plays out practically that really impacts the way uh, people live their lives. Mm. Um, and when you become obsessed with this idea that he's coming back quite literally at any second, that changes the way you live and well, not, and not in a beneficial way. Do you want to hit on that? I mean, we could talk, come back to the Holy spirit differences, but did you want to hit on the, uh, you're, you're already on it, but those eschatological differences highlighted there, the reign of Christ figured I'll throw that oh, to the yeah, post yeah, millennialist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> as we touched on earlier a little bit, uh, the dispensational view is that there will definitely be a literal reign of Christ for a thousand years um, yeah. after a seven-year tribulation here because on it, Earth. Because it says, it mm-hmm. says a thousand yeah. years, so... Biblicism is hard, is a bad, is not So good. you're just spiritualizing <laughs> it, Justin. Stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Using language in, in the way that it's written is, is over-spiritualizing things. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, everything is always literal. I imagine reading poetry is very hard for dispensationalists. <laughs> oh. I love my dispensational friends, I promise. I'm sorry. Me too. It's um, just, hey, you know what? We get roasted. I'm in a dispensationalist meme group, and the memes <laughs> against covenant theology are really entertaining. So, you know, um, I, I can take it too. So yeah, they, they believe in a definite literal thousand year period uh, in yeah. which Christ literally reigns here on earth, physically present, mm-hmm. uh, which also lends trouble to the whole, how many times is he coming back, you know? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's cool. it. That's the thing. Uh, whereas uh, not all, but most of the uh, covenantal eschatologies would say, no, Christ is reigning mm-hmm. now. He is putting all of his enemies under his feet. He is mm-hmm. sitting at the right hand of the father. Uh, reigning uh, this world might be under the sway of the wicked one but Satan yeah. is not the god of this world <laughs> mm. that's a huge huge difference in dispensationalism and covenant right. eschatological views they literally in many cases believe that Satan is the god of this world right. and that God is the god of heaven in the future sure no and, right well we want to be and we want to be distinctive right because the scripture does have that that idiom 
in there. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, when we get to eschatology. So Words just so you guys context know, matter. Yes. So just so you guys know, we are not denying a blatant scripture text, but we're saying that that particular understanding wherein, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're railing against is what I would also rail against is this idea that somehow God, the sovereign creator of all heaven and earth, has right. no power on earth and that Satan right. has all the power here. Right. Exactly. That, that, that Satan is indeed God. Right. To this world. Right. Um, right. So they, they take that they take right. that phrase, God of this age, or God of this world, and they extrapolate it to literally mean that Satan is divine and sovereign over all of the earth in a way that precludes the possibility right. of the sovereignty of God from infusing. We see we see it cleared up in a couple different places in Scripture where it talks about the fact that the world is under the sway of the wicked one, not under the rule, but under the sway of the wicked one. And two, uh, we see we see it played out where. Um, you are either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Mm-hmm. So either God is your God or the devil is your God. Right. But the devil is not God. <laughs> right. Right. The devil so, is, you know, we'll, we'll get into this cause we're going to yeah. spoiler alert. We're going to do some more theology proper later this year, but, uh, right. Satan is on the creature side of the creator creature distinction. Yes. Just in case we weren't clear, uh, <laughs> Satan is not omnipresent or omnipotent or omniscient. Satan does not possess divine attributes. He's far more powerful than any of us, and his demons are far more powerful than us as individual human mm-hmm. beings. But let's not, let's be careful that when we're reading the Bible, when we read idioms like this, that we don't read into that ontology, right. that we don't right. read into that phrase, oh, well, Satan, Satan is a god in the way that Yahweh is a god, uh, because right. the Bible doesn't actually allow that reading and i mean no. you just look at job satan has to ask permission to taunt job he doesn't just get to go do it if right. he was equal with god satan could just do what he wants so let's yes. just remind that that and even me as a, as a pessimistic amillennialist right. i affirm <laughs> that christ is reigning now as king of kings and lord of lords we'll talk yes. about that in a few weeks in eschatology now, there is a post-millennial view that includes a thousand year reign of christ here on earth sure uh, that post-millennial view uh, basically says there's essentially a golden age uh, mm-hmm. where the world has become Christianized and there is a a, uh, a thousand-year reign. Yeah. Uh, that typically tends to lend itself more to the, the- theonomic and uh, reconstructionist post-millennialists. Yeah. Um, I, I don't uh, affirm a literal thousand-year yeah. uh, reign in that way. Uh, again, more historic post-millennial or very optimistic amillennial. Um, so yeah, that, that's super important, super huge distinction between the dispensation. They often give, uh, the devil, Satan far more credit than he's due. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. They they really elevate him and they, and they make it, uh, they make it, frankly, they make it weird. Um, so I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, they make it make it weird. They, they make it weird. So let's not make it weird. Let's just let it <laughs> let it be biblical. And, let it um, be <laughs> biblical. I'm so, sorry, yeah. it is. No, no. Yeah. God, God is uh, God is 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 he's re- he, Christ is reigning now. Mm. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Mm. Amen. He is sovereign over all things that come to pass. Amen. He has decreed the end from the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega. Oh, the first and the right. last. Okay, this reminds me. I'm, I know we're we're talking about eschatology, so it's related. But you've seen the you've seen the video of uh, the the evening of eschatology that's that's mm-hmm. MC'd by John mm-hmm. Piper, and it's got Sam Storms and he who shall discussion. not be named and a few others. Great discussion, phenomenal, love it. I love watching it. 
I forget. I always forget the pre-mill guy's name. Sorry, pre-mill guy. Um, yeah. But the primo guy, like he, he's talking about like, there will be no longer any C from, from the book of Revelation. That's actually one of the few videos of Doug Wilson that I'm like, yeah, go for it. Listen to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but the primo guy, he's talking about the, the like, there's no longer any C and this and that. And, and John Piper's like, is that is that literal? And the guy's like, no, that's a figure. And Sam Storms is the omelette. Let's get this big grin on his yeah, face. Yeah. He's like, he's like. I'm really glad to hear you say that. And, and John Piper goes, Sam, you have come here to do one thing, <laughs> which, you know, when we talk about amillennialism, we'll uh, we'll hit on that. Like, and, and there's jokes and, and I could I love the jokes. Like, I find that really funny. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah. A, there, there is a tendency. And, and again, we'll we'll hit on eschatology a little bit more later. But there is a tendency where you would say, well, the, the premillennialist reads. And, and to some degree, some of the post-millennialists, particularly the Reconstructionist, theonomic variety, will read the book of Revelation with a newspaper. Mm-hmm. But the amillennialists and some of the historic post-millennialists will read the book of Revelation with a history book. Precisely. And, and in, both, say, in both extremes, not everybody in these camps does this, but in both extremes, the stereotype is, well, we're trying to read over here uh, the book of Revelation through the lens of current events and how does this line up with this and and on the other end, it's the other extreme. Well, how does this line up with this historical event? And I think both sides, we need to take a little bit of a chill pill, but that's a. <laughs> I, I would agree with uh, Sproul in, mm. in regards to in regards to eschatology. He he said that this is one of the few, very few areas in theology, systematic theology, where it would be really unwise to put a very firm foot down mm-hmm. really hard and say, this is definitely the way it is because, um, because this it's is not probably <laughs> one of the most difficult theological yeah. studies to be had in all of scripture. Even though you and I may feel very confident in what we believe eschatologically, it sure. would be unwise for us to say, there's no way that we could be wrong. <laughs> like mm. you and I would agree. There's no way that we could be wrong about, Christ and who he is right or uh, the Trinity or salvation by faith alone right we put our foot down and say no that is the way that it is and we are not wrong that is what the Bible teaches mm-hmm. now the if the Bible's wrong we're wrong we're like Paul said uh, we are more pity we're the most pitiable among among men yeah however uh, if the Bible is true this is definitely correct with eschatology we can't do that and quite as firmly sure. we have to be careful and we, and we need to be willing to have these discussions and say okay what am i missing you know yeah. what i mean sure um so it's just again now granted i mean that specifically amongst the covenantal eschatological mm-hmm. views <laughs> sure yeah, yeah, yeah dispensationalism uh well i do consider you my brothers and sisters in christ i would say no you're definitely wrong yeah <laughs> Sure. And and I think it's okay to say that. just like I can say yeah. to my my friends who are Pentecostals, I love you, but I think you're wrong. Like I think mm-hmm. that your interpretation and you guys you guys can go back and listen to our pneumatology episodes, so I'm not dropping a bomb on you here. Like I, yeah. I think I think that there's error there. And I think it's a yep. it's a significant one. Just as and, and consistently and rightfully so, my Pentecostal friends will say back to me, Well, I think you're in I love you and I think you're in grave error over cessationism. I say, All right, let's let's pour a drink, let's sit down, let's talk about it. Um and I love that. That's great. Like we should be able to do that. We need to be consi- We need to be able to be consistent mm-hmm. with our theology and not cave because we think it might be offensive or yeah. we think we might hurt people's feelings. 
Um, mm-hmm. I see that a lot too, where people try to justify, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm a cessationist, but I mean, I get, you no, know, just recognize that either you don't really believe that, or right. if you do really believe it, put your foot down and be consistent with it and just say, sure. look, uh, I believe that such and such is erroneous and, and I, I can't, I can't affirm that. And therefore mm-hmm. I think you're wrong, but I love you. I care about mm-hmm. you. You're my brother in Christ. And go with that <laughs> because yeah. at least there you're being consistent and you can, you can have those discussions uh, and actually go to the scriptures together and, and get down to the nitty gritty, but be consistent with our theology and stop being so concerned with, with, with words and, and titles and be more consistent with, with your mm-hmm. beliefs. Yeah. I, I, mind you, I'm saying this with a mirror in front of my face, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to myself as well. Sure. I'm yeah. not like pointing fingers here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we continue to to journey through these, we're not going to get through all of them, which is, you know, amazing. But uh, I wanted to look at progressive covenant or progressive dispensationalism. Sorry, I was getting my my progressives confused a little bit here. Not to be confused with progressive Christianity. I, I joked about that earlier. But disturbing heretical mess. Yeah, this is not that. Even though I disagree with them, this is not that. So just want to be careful about that. Um, so progressive dispensationalism, what is it? It is the idea that although God works in distinct periods of administrative structure, a dispensation is a a stewardship arrangement so that Israel is not the church, is not the kingdom to come. His plan progresses through increasing realization of the one plan of God as we move from one period to the next. So this means that the promises of the promissory covenants that is Abrahamic, Davidic, New, are realized in progressive stages of God's plan. So the nations are blessed through the seed Christ, the Abrahamic covenant. The seed Christ does his work through the messianic prerogatives that involve his mediating deliverance to God's people. That's the Davidic view. And that those blessings today include the law of God written on the hearts through the spirit of God in us uh, and provision of forgiveness of sins in the new covenant. Two criticisms have tended to come from those of a more traditional form of dispensationalism. One is that the promise of the covenants are for Israel only. And the second is to declare that allowing for such fulfillment means Israel and the church are not distinct, uh, a supposed denial of a key indicator of what dispensationalism is. Uh, According to this article, both criticisms are incorrect. (laughs) The opening up of a blessing through the seed to the world is indicated by a promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12. I mean, that God's program always had the nations in view as coming into the uh, into the blessed people of God. Israel was to be a means through which such blessing came, which is precisely what happens through Jesus. So that said, progressive dispensationalism takes it still divides up Israel and the church ideologically, but it says that God's plan, it's still one plan. It's still one movement, even though the people are different, even though the 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 maybe methods of of the way that salvation is worked out and, and and these things are practically accomplished is different, but it moves slowly towards uh, this this progression of of building upon things. Um, mm-hmm. But I like I still find it probably because to me it's like some of this stuff sounds very covenantal, but it's like <laughs> sure. the way. But then they like bifurcate it in ways that I'm like, but but, but why though? <laughs> like well, I, that's yeah. all i got like why did you the, i don't know uh, it, it just seems like kind of like i mentioned before it, it seems like 
a whole lot of extra it it's like uh it's like regular math versus common core <laughs> you're taking way too many steps to get to the answer <laughs> like yeah. it's it's so over complicated um and in many cases there's a lot of uh uh, inconsistency in 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 their view of God. So sure, with because God has to like change His mind. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. oh, this is a promise. Oh, well, this didn't work out, so I'm going to postpone such and such. Yeah. You know, that doesn't really play well with you know immutability <laughs> or mm-hmm. you know um, God's not changing His mind. Uh, God's not. I mean, he's not changing. Again, they they have to throw out uh, hyperbole, uh, anthropomorphic language. They have to throw all of it away to to get to such a literal place where everything is literal. Yeah, although the I mean, progressives, I mean, yeah. but then they don't do that. I mean, then they'll yeah. say some things are me. So it's like it's super inconsistent. Yeah, to be like, well, this is this is definitely. Uh, you know, all like even in this in the same passage, they'll be like, "Well, this is hyperbole, and this isn't." Yeah, and it's like, well, well, and here's some of those some of those major distinctions, right? Some of those major shifts from from uh, or, the, or the biggest shifts from classic dispensationalism would be summarized in a rejection of simplistic literalism in hermeneutics. Progressive yeah. dispensationalists pretty much adopt a genuine grammatical, historical, theological theory of interpretation, like much of the rest of evangelicalism, where sure. we tend to be in the redemptive historical uh, theological theory of interpretation as covenantal theologians. And then the second line here is a revision of the Israel church distinction, allowing for uh, Israel and the church uh, being two different phases of the one people of God, where classic dispensationalism always argues for a radical distinction between the two. Revised dispensationalism maintained that the distinction is only in terms of earthly outworking of redemption, not in eternal significance. Um, and then the final di- major difference is a breaking down of the walls of separation between these dispensations. They view these dispensations not as discrete, unmixed time frames, but rather evolving stages of historical development contained within any particular dispensation are the seeds of the next dispensation so that the dispensations are gra- uh, gradually progress, hence the name. And this allows that Christ is now enthroned as king in anticipation of his coming earthly millennial rule. Numerous additional issues could be highlighted, but these three are sufficient to establish a radical and welcome transformation within dispensationalism. That's from Ken Gentry. So that's the the basic summation, right? Oh, Gentry. It, it it changes your uh, simplistic literalism to grammatical historical theory. It uh, gets rid of the radical church Israel distinction and makes it merely a temporal earthly one, not an eternal one. And it breaks down some of these walls of separation where instead of distinct seven distinct dispensations, they all sort of like leech into each other for lack of a better word. Um, so again, I, I think you hit it on the head. Like, it's like they want to have their cake and eat it too. Like they like dispensationalism. They like the water there, but they're like, mm, this isn't really great for swimming. So <laughs> let's do something different to make yeah. it swimmable, even though we're still in the same pool. Uh, I don't know. One thing that I think you can be pretty certain of uh, as you study theology and as you grow, if something is new, chances are it's probably wrong. Oh, um, Our God is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. Uh, he doesn't change. The church has not changed. We haven't progressed. Mm. We haven't moved forward. Uh, mm-hmm. 
we're not smarter than the apostles. We're not smarter than the prophets. We're not further along. Uh, We're not uh, different. We're the same church. We're Mm -hmm. the same people. We are the people of God. Mm -hmm. We've believed the same things throughout history. Yeah. Um, If your theology is, is new and it's some sort of new development in, in history, and if you can't trace it back beyond the 1800s, bro, I'm sorry. Try again. Try. Um, <laughs> restart. <laughs> Re- restart and, yeah. uh, and try a different route because uh, mm-hmm. it ain't working. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Anyways, we are, we are definitely going to dive more deeply into uh, the different eschatological views on the, on the covenantal side as we mm-hmm. move forward. Um, we're going to have some great guests on the show to talk experts in the Amen. field, so to speak, oh, uh, to shoot. talk about um, each one of the covenantal uh, eschatol- eschatologies, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to it, man. Yeah. We're going to be uh, continuing this conversation. We'll examine some more, uh, some more stuff and things next week we're going to be sipping widow jane and this was a barrel pick sent to us by sam shobble uh so thank you sam from the dallas fort worth Samuel whiskey club and this was a barrel pick so i'm very excited widow jane's a great whiskey i'm excited to try a barrel pick um yeah. originally my my suggested reading was directly for biblical theology which we obviously went a little bit of a different direction tonight but i'd still commend james hamilton's book what is biblical theology his bigger a book that goes through every book of the Bible, God's glory and salvation through judgment, which Mm -hmm. the way he recommends you read that book is like, read your Bible. And as you get through a book of the Bible, like read the chapter on that book of the Bible in biblical theology, uh, rather than trying to read it cover to cover. G.K. Beale's The New Testament Used of the Old Testament and Gerhardus Voss's Biblical Theology. I would definitely commend all those things to you guys. Justin, how can people connect with us? Where can they find us? Listen, guys, if you can't get enough... Check us out on social media. Uh, we are on Facebook, of course. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which you can like to get updates. We have a Facebook group, which you can join to enjoy conversations with us and others, uh, theologically related, meme related, mm. uh, whiskey related, mm-hmm. um, you name it. We have a lot of great conversations in there. One of my favorite things about our Facebook group is how incredibly mature and mm-hmm. and 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 truly sage stage these yeah, people are. Um, sure. We've had people of all kinds of theological backgrounds come into mm-hmm. our group, be edified, be sanctified. Mm-hmm. Uh, iron sharpening iron really is going on there, and it is a, a beautiful, lovely, I, awesome, hearty collection of people. And uh, praise God for it. I'm I'm very yeah. thankful. Um, I'm edified every time I open up the group. Um, so check us out Facebook just search Distilling Theology you'll see our page you'll join our group and you're going to have fun uh, check us out on Instagram at Distilling Theology you can check out awesome uh, pictures book recommendations whiskey recommendations uh, great stuff there as well as some uh, updates uh, about the podcast as we go um, you can check us out at distillingtheology.com uh, you can uh, go there get every podcast episode you can Ooh. get links to the store at shopdistillingtheology.com where you can pick up hats and masks and hoodies and glassware for until uh, tomorrow. 
<laughs> and uh, and then potentially in the future some different glassware, of course, because uh, um, you know we're not going to leave you hanging forever. Um, we have mugs. You can check out some mugs. We have some great mugs. Ooh. Not our mugs, of course, but the kind that you put great coffee mugs, in. The best mugs. Of course, I use a mug to put coffee in my mug. Uh, <laughs> no one makes better mugs than distilling theology. Nobody. Yeah, coffee and whiskey are objectively better out of distilling theology uh, products. That's, that's just, true. That's just true. science. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, also, Blake, if people want to get extended or conversations or more interesting stuff, where can they go? Can head over to patreon.com slash distilling theology, where for the cost of a grande latte at Starbucks once a month, you get access to extended conversations, our episodes before they're released, which means you also get heads up. You get exclusive updates from the podcast. You get discounts in the distilling theology store. So you are hearing this and you want to get some of those glasses, head over, become a patron, get 10% off your orders at uh, shopdistillingtheology.com. You get exclusive bonus content, as I've stated, and that $14.99 per month will send you an exclusive Patreon mug after your first three months, plus some extra content. We also have uh, a new patron at that level that we're super, super grateful for. So, Thank you, Christina. Thank you uh, to all of our patrons for helping support the show. We really appreciate it because we do have expenses. We do have uh, things we have to pay for every month, so we're grateful we for you I gotta guys. pay for my water bill. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I was gonna talk about our website and, and our podcast hosting, but that works too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and if you guys are looking for some more uh, theologically sound podcast mm. content to edify mm. your commute and your day, if you if you want uh, more distilling theology, you can listen to our back catalog. But you can also get the entire back catalog of all of our friends at the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, including Assurance of Pardon. The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Restless, Seeker Start, Sipping on Theology, and the Steady Anchor Podcast. Boy, the family is growing. <laughs> it is. It's getting harder to do that in one breath. <laughs> Listen, we are so happy that there are so much, so many so many people out there that are producing great reformed biblical content that you can feast your ears upon uh on a regular basis Mm. we need more right christians do it better so the more the merrier amen and you can get all those shows at reformedpodcasts.com where you can subscribe to the mega feed get get the (laughs) s in there uh, and also, you know, if you guys are looking to start a podcast, reach out to Tony Arsenal of Reformed Brotherhood uh, mm-hmm. as we're looking to add some more uh, technical and and uh, intensive 1689 podcast. Because apparently everyone who wants to start a Reformed podcast is Calvin is, uh, you know, Presbyterian. So not me, boy. Not me. No, not you and Eric. <laughs> apparently I, I got to, I was blessed by the, you got the, the Baptist, the Baptist sandwich. That's distilling oh, theology yeah. is a Baptist sandwich. <laughs> And on that note, guys, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs>